God's timing is very interesting. About six months ago, I lined out the rest of my messages for the year, and uh, particularly as it relates to this series in uh, the book of Hebrews about faith. And when I found out that um, probably about six weeks ago or so that we were going to need to move the campaign, the capital campaign, to the month of February instead of October, that I decided to make this series a little bit longer. And I added the message today into the series. And it's, it's very timely, as you'll see in just a few moments, as it relates to what's happening in Israel today. Yesterday was a very tragic day in the life of Israel for uh, its nation and for the world, really. It's not surprising that it happened, but uh, it's it's escalated. Uh, This attack was was unique in the size of the attack, and of course, it's going to warrant a response from Israel as they have declared war on Hamas, which is backed by Iran. And now all the nations are really having to respond to this issue. If you think about what's going on there, as I have I've had friends there over the years that I have uh, visited Israel. In fact, I emailed uh, the guy that I've used over the last several years now, uh, Ronnie Winters. And just, uh, he lives in Tel Aviv, and Tel Aviv was hit, and he said that he was safe, but, but definitely pray for the nation. Uh, as I heard uh, today that there are between six and 800, that was this morning, dead uh, Israelis, about 3,800 that have been wounded. And, uh, and, and so, you know, it raises a lot of questions and issues. In talking with those who live there, particularly those who really understand the conflict and the tension, it boils down to two issues today. Most all the conflict is going to relate on one side or the other. One side, the Muslims want, do not want Israel to build the temple as the Jews want to do. The elements for the temple have already been made. And, and so Israel desires to build that temple. But as I've been told, the no way possible that the Muslims are going to let that happen. Now, I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but they're going to do everything they can to keep that from happening. So often you'll find conflict around the Temple Mount because of that issue. The other issue is that the Palestinians want a two-state solution. And the, the Jews, as far as the more conservative Jews, not the liberal Jews, but the more conservative Jews say, that is never going to happen. Because of what has taken place over the history and what was proven yesterday. That when they are crying for peace and everybody says they're going to get along with each other and a little piece of land is given to the Palestinians, a terrorist cell develops and gives them greater access to the people of Israel. And that was proven yesterday. And so there, there, there really is a philosophy now that that's impossible. Now, they need to get along. And they want to get along. In fact, most Arabs and Jews in Israel get along. When I go, typically, my guide is a Jewish guide uh, uh, and, and, and a great guide. And yet the bus driver is always Palestinian. He's an Arab. Uh, and, and, and so they get along with each other. 
and, and most want peace. But you've got a small segment that is not going to allow that to happen. Now, you've got to remember, too, in Israel, when you talk about an Israeli, that can mean a, a multitude of different people. You have the Jews who live there, who understandably would be called Israelis. But within that group, there are those who are practicing Jews. Uh, they, they, they follow the faith. But you have those to the right who are very extremist in practicing the Jewish faith. And the far right does not even consider Israel a state. They say it's illegitimate because it's not a theocracy. And it will never be legitimate until it is a true theocracy. That means that God is in control of the nation, as it was in the days of David. Uh, and there are those, though, who the majority of Jews who live there are secular. They're not, they don't followers of God. The only thing they hang on is the land. And it's very interesting that they cannot or refuse to connect the dots of why the land is there. And why it is theirs. Uh, they're, they're refusing to realize that God has a plan and purpose for Israel. And they're there for a reason. Uh, then you have Israelis who are Arabs. They're born in Israel. They are Israeli citizens. You have Arabs who are Muslims. You have Arabs who are atheists. They don't believe anything. You have Arabs who are uh, Muslims. You have those who are Christians, there's a small group of Christians there, that's diminishing. You have Coptic Christians, the Orthodox Church is there. And so you, you have that group, that's a small group as well. And so they're all Israelis. And then you have, of course, the Palestinians and the terrorists who are within that group. So the Bible predicts, listen very carefully, that it's going to get worse before it gets better. And when it gets better is at the second coming of Jesus Christ. So we need to pray for Israel. Psalm 122.6 says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And we want to pray for that. When Abraham was given the promise of God that there would be a great nation, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, what does it say? It says that God will bless the nations who bless Israel and curse the nations who curse Israel. Now, I don't know what all that means, but I do believe we need to pause and we need to pray for the people of Israel and pray for the nations as our own nation is going to have to respond to this. And I, I do think and I do believe that it's going, to, um, it's going to escalate to a greater situation than it is now, maybe greater than we've ever seen. Uh, so let's pray. Father, we, we pray To you who is in control of all things, to you who in your word has established your plan and purpose, your redemptive story that begins with the call of Abraham and your people, and through those people comes the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a complicated issue, Father, as we would all admit but, Lord, I do pray for the peace of Jerusalem, for the nation of Israel, that they'll be able to live in peace and to get along. And, God, that you will give wisdom to those in all the nations involved, wisdom to know what they need to do and how to respond and how 
to most effectively bring peace to that part of the world. I know, Father, there are a lot of opinions about it. May it not be a, a point of division. But, God, may we seek you, and may we realize once again that the only hope, the only answer is the peace that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray, amen. Now, the message today is the children of Israel taking possession of this very land that God has given them. Now, when Israel goes in, a nation of Israel goes into, or the children of Israel go into the land of Canaan, what is the land of Canaan at the time? The land of Canaan is really about seven tribal groups that are nomadic in nature that live in this land. It's not a nation as a whole as the nation of Canaan, but it's people groups who are living there. And about 1200 to 1400 B.C., there's difference of opinion, this is when Joshua entered into the promised land. As I mentioned last Sunday, they based camp in Gilgal, which is just on the west side of the Jordan River. And there they would begin to take possession of the land, which means they would fight in these different battles. They would go first to Jericho, which we're going to read about today. They would go all the way west to the Mediterranean Sea. Then they would go south. They would come back to Gilgal, actually, go south and defeat the enemies of the south. And then they would make their way to the north. And once that happened, which took seven years, Joshua gathers all the tribes and say, you're going here, you're going here, you're going here, and you're going there. And then they have a consolidated nation, the nation of Israel in that sense, uh, with Jerusalem being the capital. So they've, they've come in and they're headed to Jericho. From a spiritual standpoint, all of us, we're in the wilderness, wandering, lost in sin. At some point, there were those, some, who have crossed the Jordan River and gone into the promised land, which is the life of God. That that's how we would describe our promised land today. From a spiritual standpoint, we experience the life of God. Now, the interesting thing is that there are those who've wandered in the wilderness. They've crossed the Jordan River by faith. They've entered into the promised land. They're experiencing a life of God. They're followers of Christ. And yet they discover by amazement that there's a Jericho that confronts them. And they're, they're thrown off by that. And so they become discouraged. Wait a minute, I, I, I'm, I'm following God and I want God's blessing and I want this new life. But what is this Jericho that I'm encountering? But what's more discouraging is that they begin to realize that not only is there this Jericho, but there's the next Jericho and the next Jericho and the next one and the next one. And it never stops. There are those who teach that if you're truly following Christ, that you'll never be tempted, you'll never have sin if you're truly following God. And the Bible doesn't teach that, and by our own life experience, we know that's not true. The fact is, is that the enemy is going to attack us and continue to attack us until we're home with the Lord. But there are those who get really discouraged by this, and you might be that person today, and you feel like, I can't win the battle that I'm in right now. Well, there's good news. 
Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30. And then I want to go to Joshua 5 to give you context. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30. What does he say? What's the hope? By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after being encircled for seven days. Now let's go to Joshua 5 and read what's taking place. Israel is in Gilgal. They have, uh, they've taken the Passover meal. They no longer are receiving manna from heaven. They're not in uh, the wilderness. They're now in the promised land. And so the Bible says they're eating from the crops of the land. But now it's time for the army to move and to go from Gilgal to Jericho. That's the first, first city that they're going to encounter as we learned about last week with Rahab. Now here's what the Bible says, chapter 5, verse 13. When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua approached him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. I have now come as commander of the Lord's army. Then Joshua bowed with his face to the ground in worship and asked him, What does my Lord want to say to his servant? The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Does it remind you of another scene? Who is it? Moses and the burning bush. Now Jericho was strongly fortified because of the Israelites, no one leaving or entering. The Lord said to Joshua, Look, I have handed Jericho, its king and its fighting men, over to you. March around the city with all the men of war, circling the city one time. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry seven ram's horn trumpets in front of the ark. But on the seventh day, march around the city seven times while the priests blow the trumpets. When there is a prolonged blast of the horn and you hear its sound, have all the people give a mighty shout. Then the city will collapse and the people will advance, each man straight ahead. Now what is the faith that you need for the battle that you're in? And I want to give it to you. Number one, you need to understand from the very beginning that your battle is a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. Now that's where we get this is from the commander of the Lord's army showing up. Now, the army that is being described here, this commander who is leading, is not the army of Israel. It's not a physical army. It is a spiritual army that is around the throne of God who are at his beckon's call. And when it's time for a spiritual battle, that they're the ones who are released. And the commander of the Lord's army here shows up to Joshua. Many believe that the commander of the Lord's army is indeed the Lord Jesus Christ. Another pointing, another type, another picture of Jesus Christ, and that uh, we would describe this as a theophany. Theo meaning God, phane meaning an appearance or manifestation. So it's a manifestation of God as it was in Moses with the burning bush or other events that we've talked about already. The point is, is that he's talking to Joshua about a battle in spiritual terms. If we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul describes it this way. For although we are walking in the flesh physically, we do not wage war in a fleshly way. Since the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. 
we demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, the problem for many of us is that we're letting those thoughts captivate us. And Paul says that we need to take authority over the enemy by taking that thought captive unto the obedience of Christ. We're giving it to Christ and we're walking in obedience to what he is saying to us, not what the enemy is saying to us through those thoughts. Too many of us are fighting a spiritual enemy by worldly means. And listen, it cannot, it will not be done. No plan or program or book or anything else will defeat Satan or solve your problems. You need to remember that your battle is a spiritual battle. Paul would say this in Ephesians 6. Your battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not physical. It's against the powers and principalities of the air. So it all begins, faith for the battle, by understanding that it's a spiritual battle. Secondly, you need to make sure you're on the right side. By faith, you're on the right side. The walls of Jericho collapsed because Joshua humbled himself in worship and in surrender to the commander of the Lord's army. Notice his reaction. First, his humility. He bowed his face to the ground. He positioned himself. He understood exactly who it was. It was the Lord. And so he humbled himself before the Lord. He set aside his pride. Look, he's the leader of the, of the children of Israel. He is the man. It's not Moses. Now it's him. But he recognizes that he must humble himself before the Lord and follow the Lord. Notice, secondly, he recognizes his authority. He calls him my Lord. He understands who he is. And notice he has a willingness to serve. What does my Lord want to say to his servants? And so he understands that this is a spiritual battle. He humbles himself and he's willing to serve. Not not to allow God to serve him, but I'm willing to serve you, Lord. What do you want me to do? Behind the powers of ungodly nations and rulers in our world today is Satan. Behind the resistance of your spouse or your children or your parents to the word of God is Satan. Behind the divided home the broken heart, the ruined life, and the shattered testimony is Satan himself. There are two sides in every battle, and we can easily be on Satan's side if we're not aware of what's going on in this spiritual battle. Let me illustrate. Behind racism, violence, and murder is Satan. There are calls for reform. We need to reform the police. We need to reform education. We need to reform prisons. Those are all important and necessary, but there will be no reformation until there is transformation. The transformation of the heart. The issue is the gospel. Paul said in Galatians 3, There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He's describing the New Testament believers as those who loved each other, cared for each other, and ministered to one another. Jesus said in John 13, I give you a new commandment. Love one another just as I have loved you. You must always love one another. By this, 
All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the gospel must be our priority. It has to be the priority in what you're dealing with personally. It has to be the priority for this church. The the, the priority has to be the gospel of Christ and its mission to our community. And it's 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 the priority of the church at large in its mission to the world. What's the answer in Israel? The gospel of Christ. What's the answer in other Arab Muslim nations? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why I love about Southern Baptist is that those who go on the mission field spend zero time raising money. They spend all of their time on the mission field while we give. A part of what you give helps support our missionaries to go and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, it's either revival or ruin for all of us if that's not the focus of what we're doing. So you want to make sure you're on the right side of the battle. You see, Joshua said, whose side are you on? Us, our side, or the enemy's side? And what does the commander of the Lord really say to him? Paraphrased, you need to make sure you're on the right side, Joshua. You need to make sure you're on God's side. And for us to have victory in the battles that we're facing, we need to make sure we're on God's side. Notice third, we need to remember that the enemy lives in fear. The enemy lives in fear. Chapter 6, verse 1, now Jericho was strongly fortified because of the Israelites. No one leaving or entering. Now, how could the Israelites afford to walk around the city 13 times as they did in seven days? It's because they knew that the, that the, the, the inhabitants lived in fear. The Bible says they were, quote, tightly shut up because of the Israelites, a different translation. Rahab had already told us this in Joshua chapter 2. She said, we lost heart and everyone's courage failed because of you. The problem, though, is that the opposite is true today. We are the ones living in fear. We underestimate the power of Almighty God. Almighty God, the Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God. Although Satan is powerful, he lives in fear. He has to submit to the authority of God and the authority of Jesus Christ, to his word. That he doesn't have greater power than God, but though we act that way. We don't have to live in fear. Listen, when God shows up, Satan trembles. We see that so many times in the examples of Jesus encountering uh, uh, those who were demon-possessed. Not once did Jesus ever demonstrate fear. Not one time. And we shouldn't either. We should, there's no reason for us. What does Paul say to Timothy? God has not given us a spirit of fear, a demonic spirit of fear, but has given us love and a sound mind. Notice also, the battle has already been won. Chapter 6, verse 2. The Lord said to Joshua, look, I have handed Jericho, its king, and its fighting men over to you. We sang that just a few moments ago. It's already been won. It's past tense. The outcome is already decided, and it's already been decided for you. What you're dealing with, God already knows the outcome of it. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says it like this beginning in verse 20. 
He demonstrated this power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. Far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put everything under his feet. Every battle, your battle, is under his feet. And appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. So whatever it is that you're facing, it's under the authority of Christ. It's already been won. Now, notice the next point. I want to drop an anchor here for a moment. Do exactly what God tells you to do. If you're going to have faith for the battle, you've got to do what God tells you to do. Notice number one, you've got to take time to evaluate the situation. They marched around the city 13 times. They were able to take a long, hard look at what they were dealing with. They didn't just go and rush in into, the, into Jericho. And so many of us are guilty of facing a problem and, and we, we, we lack patience, we lack understanding, we think we know what is right, and we rush in. We're pragmatic, especially in our nation. We're, we're pragmatic. We, we hear a problem, we say, one, two, three, solve the problem, let's go to the next problem. Because we're always facing problems. There's no time for us to stop and evaluate what's really going on because of the crises that we're dealing with. So you evaluate. Notice, secondly, you surround the problem with God. The central feature of the procession of the Lord's army, physically, Israel's army, was the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. So as they marched around the city, God's presence was with them. And the way we do that is through prayer. God walked around Jericho with the people of God. Every time they moved. And God is with us. Now the way we surround our problems with God is through prayer. Some of you today need to walk into a room in your house. And you need to walk around that room in prayer. Because there's something in there that's not right. And you know it. When you're in that room you sense something different than the rest of the places in your house. Some of you need to walk around your house in prayer. Now, you don't do that drawing attention to yourself, but I mean literally. You need to walk out the front door and walk around your house in prayer because there's stuff going on in your house that's not right. And you know it. I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm saying that, that there's something that is evil in nature that is there, and you know that. And you need to get God around your house. There's some of you that need to walk around your neighborhood. People need God in your neighborhood. People need God's help in some of the homes in your neighborhood. You may not know who they are. You know some of them. And you pray by name, but you begin to walk. And I promise you, you begin to do this, and you're going to start seeing God do something. Some of you need to walk around your business. There's stuff going on in your business that's not right. You know that's, that's there. And the enemy's at work, and you need to walk around your business in prayer, a prayerful attitude. Maybe it's just driving up in the parking lot and sitting there and just praying, God, before I go in here, I'm asking for your presence to surround this business. And you know what's up, you talk to them about it. There's students here, if you thought about praying around your school, there's, we pray at the pole. But maybe as you're praying, walking through the hallways of your school, you start praying. 
Maybe there's a classroom. Maybe there's a horrible, terrible, no good teacher in your school. I'm kidding. But maybe you're having an issue in a classroom. It could be another student. It could be a teacher, a professor. It could be just you sense the enemy. I've personally driven through cities, and I can give them by name, that I have just, I sense there's a demonic presence there. Some people might need to come, if God leads you to do that, and walk around this church and begin to pray. I mean, seriously, are you praying for Linwood Baptist Church? Are you praying about what God's doing, what God wants to do here? Seriously praying about it. Well, part of that may be walking around this building and beginning to pray. It makes a difference. I don't know if I've shared this before, but many of you know that my dad pastored in Clearwater, Florida. And about a block from the church is the headquarters of the Scientologists. And, uh, you know, they, they, it's a money-making machine. It's a cult group. They, they don't really believe anything about God. Uh, they have an e-meter, which is two cans and a wire between them. You hold one in and they hold the other. And, you know, somehow it's supposed to clear your mind. That, that's actually true. It's, it's, a, it's hokey, but people spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to try to be free from the bondage that they're in. A lady walked into the church office and, and asked to see the pastor, my father. And he said, well, why are you here? And she said, well, I, I, I'm no longer at, at, it was an old hotel, the Fort Harrison Hotel. That's where the headquarters was and still is. And some of the residents live above the offices. And she said, the reason I'm at your church is that I was going through this process of clearing my mind. And I, I looked out the window and I noticed that on Saturdays there were two women that they would walk around the building for several hours. And I could tell they were praying. And I later found out that they were from your church. One was my mother and one was another woman, Marty Matula. And she said, when I, when I decided to leave this place, I was going to find that church. And several months later, she gave her heart to Christ. I believe there's power in prayer. And I believe we need to get God's presence around the battles that we're facing. Because it's serious. And we can't fight these battles with natural weapons. Maybe if I just have enough information, if I'm smart enough. if I, We have to be practical. We have to be reasonable with our faith. But we have to exercise our faith through the power of prayer. The next thing that we have to do is admit your weakness. As they marched around this city, they realized it's going to be impossible for us to do this on our own. And the greatest difficulty in the Christian life is getting to the place where we admit, I can't fight this battle alone. That I need God's help. The enemy is too great. And, and, and until your Jericho is not going to fall until God makes it happen. And God can make it happen. I can't be the husband, the father, the pastor, the friend that I need to be on my own. It's too big, but it's not too big for God. Your Jericho stands in front of you, and you need to come to that point where you realize it is truly a gift from God. Now, why is it a gift from God? Because it's at that point that you come to the end of yourself, and you'll experience the power of God Almighty. And you'll see the victory in your battle. It's yours to take. But God will only give it to you when you come to that place that you admit your weakness. Then 
you act by faith. What does it say in Hebrews 11? By faith. Not just the faith of Joshua, but the faith of God's people. All the other heroes of faith we've studied are about individuals, but here the faith is of collectively the body. And so that's why what we do here as the body of Christ is so important. That by faith the walls fell. They acted by faith. The last thing I'll say is we need to take the ground once the walls have fallen. Verse 20 of chapter 6. I didn't read this earlier. So the people shouted. The commander said this is what you need to do. They did it. They shouted. The trumpet sounded. When they heard the blast of the trumpet, the people gave a great shout and the walls collapsed. You see, when God gives us the victory, we need to take the ground and keep the ground. Jesus illustrated this in Matthew chapter 12. When an unclean spirit comes out of a man, it roams through waterless places looking for rest, but doesn't find any. Then it says, I'll go back to my house that I came from. And when it arrives, it finds the house vacant, swept, and put in order. Then off it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and settle down there. As a result, that man's last condition is worse than the first. That's how it will also be with this evil generation. And I will say amen to this evil generation. So when God gives deliverance for you personally, in your home, where you work, at your school, or whatever, keep it clean. Because the enemy knows that you're at a point where you could be vulnerable, thinking, oh, look what we did. Pride sets in, the enemy comes in. Don't let that happen. The commander of the Lord's army, what does he do today for us? He gives us strength. The psalmist says in Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom then shall I be afraid? He gives us strength. Strength to go on. Strength to go up. Strength to go down in humility. Strength to go nowhere. To be still and know that He is God. You can have faith for your battle right now would you bow your head and close your eyes there might be somebody here this morning who would say pastor I'm really at that point I'm at the end of myself I, 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 I know that I am weak I can't overcome this battle and I need God in my life and I want to have a relationship with him I know that I'm a sinner and that Christ died on the cross for my sin and we want to give you an opportunity to come and give your heart to Christ and to experience his redemptive work in you. To give you a new life. And to give you the power and the faith that you need to fight your battle. And to experience God's victory in your life. So when we sing this next song, I'm going to invite you to come to one of these pastors who will be here. And they'll know how to help you give your heart to Christ. There might be others in the room, many, who would say, Pastor, I love the Lord, but the battle I'm in is overwhelming right now. I feel discouraged. I feel weak. Well, maybe that's exactly where God wants you so that now you can turn it over to Him. You can surrender. You can humble yourself in worship before the Lord and say, okay, all right, Lord, I'm your servant. You tell me what to do and I'll do it. And begin to experience victory in your life. 
There might be those that are not members of our church family. Listen, you need to be part of a church. It may be this one or another one. But you need God's people with you together. Notice the Bible says it was an army. It was an army who fought the battle. And so we need each other in this battle. The army of God. The people of God. Living by faith in community. And we'd love for you to be a part of what God's doing here at Linwood. There might be some who want to just have a quiet moment here at the altar by yourself. Or maybe you want someone to pray for you. Then I'll ask you to come and let us know and we'll do that. Father, I thank you that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Help these who need to make commitments now. In Jesus' name, amen.